0: Let me start off with a question for you. Uh, It's Christmas season. Um, How many of you, so kind of starting, think about like right before Thanksgiving all the way through to right after New Year's, all right? That's the Christmas season. How many of you would describe that season as a season of rest? The first service laughed at that question too. I think it's a good question. But right, why do you laugh? Because it's not, right? We're busy during the season. Actually, how many of you would say this season, right before Thanksgiving, right to the end of New Year, when you look at that entire season, it's the busiest season of your entire year? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, here's what we did as we were preparing this sermon series called A Christmas to Remember. Oh, by the way, my name is Fred Baker, I'm the lead pastor. Um, as, as we were preparing this series uh, called A Christmas to Remember, um, and we started months ago. We actually started during the summer. And what I did is I pulled some staff together and I turned the air, con- air conditioner down really low in and, and one of the rooms that we meet in. And I had Christmas music playing. And I went to Starbucks and got hot chocolate and, and had mints out on the table because I kind of wanted to get us all in the Christmas spirit as we started looking forward to a Christmas series. And I asked him, I said, tell me your favorite Christmas memory. If you were to narrow down Christmas to your favorite memory, describe that Christmas memory to me. And so for you, what is your favorite Christmas memory? And I bet it's similar to what we shared at that table. All of us had this moment where we described, where as usually on Christmas Day and presents had already been opened and kids were playing, there was the smell of good food cooking in the air or good food already on the table. The family was gathered together, and it was just good. And there was joy there, there was contentment there, there was peace there, there was rest there. Usually it involves sitting in that comfy spot on the couch with your comfy slippers on, feet propped up. And that's what a lot of our Christmas memories were. And we had the thought, we were like, what if we could take what was true about that moment of Christmas bliss and make it the entire season? that way. What would that be like? Well, that would be a Christmas to remember, wouldn't it? And that's what started this whole series, and and, 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 and that's what we are going to see today, because this Christmas, we're wondering if there's a way to do the Christmas season the same way we do that favorite Christmas moment, because we believe that if we can, it will give us a Christmas to remember. It's why last week, Josh Montgomery talked about contentment. Because in that moment, there's contentment, right? All is right in the world. Credit card bills hit next month. Right now, all is right in the world. And and Josh did a great job of saying that how our contentment is contentment is because it is only anchored in Jesus. Because he shared this great story about the one thing that he wanted for Christmas was Castle Grayskull, right? The He-Man Castle Grayskull, and he got it. And for four hours, he was so excited until what happened, he met Optimus Prime at his best friend's house. And all of a sudden, Castle Grayskull wasn't as good as it used to be. And he told us that in Jesus, that doesn't happen. Our contentment rests in Jesus. Well, today, here's what we're going to see. Today, we're going to see one more way to stretch this great moment into a great season. Um, because today, we're going to see that in this, in this Christmas to Remember, we can actually have our best rest. But in this season, even though all of us said that this is the busiest season of the year, there is actually a way that even in this busiest season of the year to have a great and best rest. Today, we're going to see a kind of rest uh, which is good, but then we're going to see a kind of rest which is best in Matthew. So we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. If you wanna use one of the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 676. Um, If you wanna use your phone, uh, you can download the Bible app Click on events, go to Fellowship Asheville and click on that and and all these notes and points will be there as well. As you're turning there, let me kind of tell you a little bit about the book of Matthew uh, that you're turning to. It's in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New Testament. And the writer of this book, it was actually a letter that was distributed to churches. The writer, guess what his name is? Matthew, that's right. His name is Matthew. And, and as you read the book of Matthew, you, you kind of find out more about who he is. And Matthew was a guy who was a tax collector. And, and uh, even though that might even give us chills down our spine, if you were an ancient Israel, it, you wouldn't like Matthew much at all. Because what Matthew's job was is, is you had this nation of Israel uh, where Jesus is from and, and, and where he did his ministry, And at that time, Israel wasn't ruling itself. Rome was ruling over Israel. So it'd be like us as Americans having Great Britain rule over us again, right? That's the way Israel was. And Matthew worked for Rome, collecting taxes from his fellow brothers and sisters of the Jewish nation, of the nation of Israel. Now, what was common with tax collectors, and it appears that Matthew did this a lot, is that not only would he collect the required taxes, he would collect a little bit extra for himself. Because Rome didn't care how much he collected as long as they got what they were supposed to get paid. And so a lot of tax collectors were very wealthy because they basically stole money from their own people, and that's why they were despised. Well, that's who Matthew is until he met this guy named Jesus. And Jesus called him to a greater standard, and Jesus said, come, follow me. And Matthew did. And when he did, he stopped becoming a tax collector and started becoming a Jesus follower. And what he wrote this letter for what he wrote the book of Matthew for is because he wrote it to other Jewish people because he wanted them to know that the Jesus he followed was the Messiah they were waiting for. That the Jesus that he followed, the Jesus that he wrote about wasn't just the Messiah they were waiting for. This Jesus is actually the Savior for all people. And what we're gonna see is what he wrote was that in this Jesus, we can find rest. And not just rest, but that this Jesus gives us our very best rest, especially during this Christmas season. We'll look at verse 28. In the first three words, you'll notice if, if you have a red letter edition, these are all red letters. So Jesus is speaking, and he says, come to me. Now, Now, the reason he says this, he, he is speaking to a group of people, and it's a very unique statement made by Jesus. And, and, and what he's doing is he's just finished doing this road trip, right, where he has his disciples with him. And what he did is he went to all his disciples' hometown. Right and, and, and as he was there, he was preaching the gospel and he was telling them that he is the Messiah. And he was saying that he's the one that has come to fulfill the prophecies. And what he's telling this group of people that he's talking to is that when he made that road trip, some cities believed him. Some cities believed that he was the Messiah and some cities didn't. In the cities that didn't, God's judgment was still resting on them. All right, And so what he says, when he says, come to me, I want you to put this frame around this statement that's called judgment. All right, And what judgment is, judgment is, is a declaration of an opinion. It's a declaration of a verdict. When you're in a court and a judge makes a statement about you, it is a binding statement. If the judge says you are guilty, then guess what? You're guilty. If the judge says that you're innocent, guess what? you're innocent. And Jesus is telling this story about how he did these road trips and that God's judgment declared some of these cities innocent and some of these cities guilty because of how they responded to him. And so what he does is he tells the story of going to these cities and some of them are are free and some of them are still under judgment. And then he turns to the people that are listening to him and he says, hey, come to me. And it's in this context of judgment. It's in this context of God is a God who judges because of sin. That God is a God who has this weight with him. And Jesus is saying with the context of that weight, with the frame of that judgment and weight, come to me. And here's why he says, come to me. Look at who needs to come to him. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So labor, this word labor means to work hard, right? You think of a woman who's in labor, that's some hard work, y'all, right? For those of you who've ever seen a baby be born, that is hard work. For those of you who haven't, think about somebody breaking rocks for a job. That's hard labor. Labor means hard work. Heavy laden, what heavy laden means is that they have hard work to do. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, in this context of judgment, if if you labor and are heavy laden, in other words, it's you who have hard work and you who work hard, I've got something better for you. I've got something better than the hard work And I've got something better than working hard. Now remember, Jesus isn't talking about their job. He's talking about judgment. So let me tell you what this feels like. So for you, if you're sitting there and you're listening to Jesus and he's talking about judgment, what you feel is you feel this weight. You feel this pressure of, I've got to perform to make God happy. That's the way this works, right? I've got to go to the temple and do this. I've got to make these sacrifices. I've got to give this money. That's how this works to make God happy. The problem is, what Jesus is saying is that actually that is the hard work of working hard is trying to make God happy, trying to get God to give you you a favorable judgment. And that's why he says, come to me, because there's a better and there's a different way. You see, he's saying, you've been working hard at the hard work of trying to avoid judgment, of trying to change God's opinion of you, of trying to please God, of trying to get this favorable judgment for him. But he says, I have got some good news for you. Come to me. He says, are you trying to stay away from God's judgment? Then come to me. And what I love about this is he doesn't give a qualifier. He doesn't say, okay, if you're you're, uh, five foot eight and higher, come to me. If you've been a good Jew, come to me. If you've been a good Gentile, a non-Jew, come to me. He says, if you're tired of working hard at the hard work of trying to make God happy, come to me. And look at what you do. Look, Look at when you do. Look at what happens the rest of verse 20 he says, Come to me, all, all who labor and he, are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, So come to me if, if you're tired of trying to please God, if, if you're try, tired of trying to do enough so that God won't judge you, so that He will declare something favorable about you, that He will look at you and say, I love you, and not only do I love you, I like you, and if you've been trying to to do the song and dance to get that kind of response from him, Jesus is saying, all you have to do is come to me, and you will rest, and that weight will be lifted. Now, many of you know what I'm talking about because every week here, we preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus died, to lift the weight of your sins, to take them away so that you can have this good and right relationship with the God who loves you. There is a yellow jacket up here or something. With the God who loves you uh, and the God who made you, that is our gospel. That is our good news, that you don't have to perform to earn God's love, that it is found in Jesus. That's the gospel. And that he's provided a way for you, he's provided a way for those who listen, who are listening to Jesus speak to, to have this favorable opinion of God bestowed upon them. And by this coming to him, by, by us coming to Jesus, we get this rest, this word for rest that he uses. He uses an agricultural term that means to let a field, to let a field rest. The way they would do their agriculture is they would take a field and divide it into sections. And, and every year, they would let a section of that field rest. Um, and then they would work and plow in all the other, all the other fields, all the other sections of the field. And, and so Jesus is using this word. The image is there are certain fields where the work is hard and there's a lot of work to do. I mean, think about farming and think about all the great equipment we have to make farming easier. And it's still hard work. Right, in ancient Israel, it was really hard work and those those fields had to be tilled and, and maintained and then harvest would come. But yet there was always one field where there was no work going on, there was rest. And Jesus says, I will give you that rest. I will give you the ability to stop trying to earn God's favor. I will give you this rest. And so Jesus is saying, come to me If you're overworked from avoiding judgment and I will give you that rest. And after this rest is replenished, look at what happens when you come to Jesus. When when Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And you say, okay, I'm here. Look at verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke was this wooden device that they would attach to two animals. Right? They take one animal. And it's this wooden thing that has two kind of humps. And one animal would be under one hump and another animal would be under another hump. And the picture that he's painting is that our rest is tied to Jesus. That there's no way to, to get this kind of rest unless you are tied and yoked to Jesus. But here's something else that this picture implies that we miss and that I didn't know until I was studying this passage, until I was in seminary. And they talked about this and it blew my mind because what happens is when, when an animal is yoked to another animal, especially us, who are new at this whole thing of being yoked to Jesus, what happens is they take an inexperienced animal and yoke it to an experienced animal. So they take an animal that already knows the field, that already knows the work, that already knows how far up to go and turn and come back, and then you take this young animal that doesn't know and they yoke him to this, and the the way they design the yoke and the way they use the yoke is all the weight of the yoke rests on the experienced one, not the inexperienced one. And so what Jesus is saying is that when you're yoked to him, he takes all the weight off and puts it on himself. See, he takes the yoke. He takes the work. We get the benefit of walking beside him. So when he says, come to me and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, hit yourself up to me. Let me carry the weight of this judgment. Because what we know is he was looking ahead to this picture of a cross, like he literally was gonna take on a yoke for us, right? As he carried the cross up the road to be crucified, he literally took on the weight of God's judgment for us so that we didn't have to carry that. And when he died on that cross, and, 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 and he said it is finished, and he took our sin upon himself and took God's judgment upon himself. What happens when we take on Jesus' yoke is that judgment has rested on him, and we get rest. And look at the, verse, the rest of verse 29. He says, take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we're the ones that are in the position of learning. When Jesus' yoke is on you and me, and what he's saying to those that he's speaking to is that when his yoke is on, on you, he's carrying the weight. The weight is off of you. Jesus takes the weight off. And as as, as we walk beside him, we learn. Because what would happen, the experienced animal would, would pull the, the inexperienced animal along with them. And when the experienced animal turned one direction, the inexperienced turned with him. When he turned this way he turned this way when he went fast they went fast when he slowed down they went slow they slowed down and that's what having Jesus's yoke on you is like we follow Jesus because we're tied to Jesus we rest in Jesus because we're tied to Jesus that's our yoke and what does this feel like well it feels like rest it feels like refreshment and like I said, now this is talking about salvation here and it's talking about judgment here and, and he takes the weight off for sure. And being yoked to Jesus instead of being, being, being yoked to, to working to please God, that definitely takes the weight off. You see, when Jesus is where your faith is attached, there is rest. But if your faith is attached to anything else, If that judgment is attached to anything else, to good works, doing enough good stuff to please God, if it's attached to to good behavior, like being a good enough person, really our rule is not being a bad enough person. That's kind of our standard, right? Right? Or this time of year, there's plenty of opportunities to do to do these philanthropic efforts to give here and to give here and to give here. And, and if your faith is attached to those things, that's hard work at working hard. And that's judgment. And Jesus is saying there's a much better way. So, so let me ask you a question. Are you tired of working hard at the hard work of trying to make God happy with you to please him? And if so, today can be the day that that you come to Jesus and let his yoke be on you and take his yoke on you instead of your yoke on you. When I was a kid, we played this game called tag. Right? Anybody else play tag when you were little? What's the first thing you did when uh, you knew you were starting a game of tag? It was one, two, three? Not it. Right? And, then, and then whoever wasn't paying attention, usually me because of ADHD, I was watching the squirrel run across the field. I was the guy that was it. And my job was to run around and tag people. And once I tagged them, what did I tell them? Tag, you're it. What Jesus is saying here is that in light of this judgment, in light of, of trying to earn your way to God's favor, there is a way to experience a good and right verdict from God where he looks at you, And says, I love you. And and the way to do that is to look at Jesus and go, tag, you're it. You've got to carry this weight. I can't carry it anymore. Now, here's where it applies to us. This this is talking about salvation and judgment. And and if you have never come to a place in your life where you've identified yourself as a Jesus follower, that that it's not about you trying to please God, but it's accepting what Jesus has done for you, that I want you to listen to this because this is for you. But many of us in this room have already done that, and yet we still feel this weight of judgment, don't we? Especially during this season. And even though we may hear that God loves us and likes us and he has made us and all that sounds good and beautiful, we have our mother-in-law who says something different. Our father-in-law, maybe we have our dad who says something different. We have our mother who says something different. We have our cousin. We've got our kids who want an iPhone 10 and the only way to make them happy is to get them one. You know how much those jokers cost? you are going to be some very unhappy children. But yet we still feel this judgment of trying to make people happy. One of the things I love about reengage, I'm going to give you a free lesson from re One of the phrases that they use is called stay in your own circle, which gives this picture if you draw a circle around yourself and you know who you're responsible for? The person in that circle. You can't make anybody outside that circle happy. You've got to stay in your own circle. So when you're talking about your marriage, talking about your relationships, the key word is stay in your own circle. Key phrase is stay in, don't, don't, don't talk about how she's feeling, don't talk about how he's feeling, stay in your own circle. What happens with us who are Jesus followers, who know this gospel to be true in our lives, is we invite way too many people into that circle with us. And we feel the pressure, we feel the weight of trying to make so many people happy. And Jesus says, come to me. And I think if we take that moment of Christmas bliss and, and expand it into a season, I think when we feel that weight of judgment of others, we can, the, the same solution applies. We can still come to Jesus. We can still look at Jesus and say, Jesus, tag, you're it. I can't do, I can't make this person happy. We can't afford to get what they want to do. Even if we could afford it, we're not going to get it. Jesus tag, you're it. And I think, church, if we do that, we will enter a rest this Christmas season that we haven't had before. Um, In verse uh, 29 He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You see, when we're yoked to Jesus, we go where he goes, and what he's saying is he won't whip you around the corners. He's saying he's gentle when you're yoked to him. You see, Jesus will give you the rest you need because he is the rest you need. And so today... Who needs this kind of rest from the hard work of working hard to try to make God happy, to try and make others happy? If so, then then let today be the day that you can trust him and put Jesus's yoke on you. Let today be the day that you can say, Jesus, tag, you're it. I can't do this. Jesus, you are my rest Jesus, I come under your yoke. Jesus, you take away my sins and you give me rest because look at what happens when you do. We know he gives you rest, but look at this because this is this unexpected, this is our best rest. Look at what happens in the rest of verse 29. And you will find rest for your souls. So what happens, notice in the previous verse, Jesus gives you rest. The hard work is over. But what happens here is it says you will find rest. You see, when you come to Jesus and and you put his yoke on you, and you find that that's refreshing, and you find that there's this rest there, that you don't have to work hard at pleasing God, that because of Jesus, God looks at you and says, I love you, I'm proud of you. And one of the things that I love the most is that Jesus says, I like you. And you realize that when Jesus has done that, that's restful, but but something else happens. You get rest and then you find rest. And this word find that Jesus uses the same word he used in another story where this guy was walking through a field and he was just kind of following the, the trail through the field and he and he tripped over something. And when he did, he he looked back at what it was and kind of dug it up. It was shiny, and so he dug it up, and he discovered it was buried treasure. And he looked around, and he realized the land that he was walking through was for sale. So he went to the owner, and he bought the entire plot of land because there was this buried treasure in it. He found it. And the same word there of finding this treasure is the same word Jesus uses here. This rest that you will find is a rest you weren't even looking for. This best rest for this season, when you come to Jesus and you take his yoke upon you, there is this, ah, this, this, this freedom that comes with that. But then as you walk along with Jesus and you learn to turn right when he turns right and turn left when he turns left and speed up when he speeds up and slow down when he slows down, all of a sudden you've discovered something that wasn't there before and it is this deep rest. And notice where this verse says this rest is. It's in your soul. It's deep. You see, when Jesus gives you rest, lo and behold, you discover that there is this rest deep in your soul that you've never experienced before. And this rest, this best rest, is the absolute best rest, which is why Jesus says this in verse 30. He says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what this rest feels like. It feels like your relationship with God, your Christian life is easy and light. Now church, this Christmas season, previous Christmas seasons, has easy and light been the words that you used? Not me, not always. Sometimes, but not always. But what Jesus is showing us here is that that kind of best rest is available all year long, even during the Christmas season, which is quite ironic, isn't it? The season that we celebrate his birth. He's using this verse to remind us that it's a great season to enter that deep rest. Now we started off this sermon talking about that Christmas memory, that Christmas bliss, and that memory probably feels like this deep rest that I'm describing, where everything is good and everything is right. And y'all, here's what I hope that you get from today's message, that our best rest is found only when we do as Jesus asks and we come to him. It's when we take his yoke upon us, when we tell him, tag, you're it. But here's what I've learned. And I think Jesus captures this in this verse. This taking his yoke on, this, this saying, tag, your it, may require something from you. Not in a salvation sense. Jesus says, come to me, and you're done. But to find this deep rest may require something of you. And it's this. Sometimes you have to make room for his yoke. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes you have to make room for rest right? You have to make room to be able to enter this rest, to to enter this relationship with Jesus, to to focus in on this relationship with Jesus. And so this Christmas season, what would it look like for you and I to experience this rest? Um, Here at Fellowship, we give uh, all of our pastoral staff a sabbatical. Once they've been here for five years, you get a three-week sabbatical on top of your regular vacation to rest, to enter into that deep, abiding rest with Jesus. In my life, there's all these faucets, there's all these spigots that are on, all, all, a, a lot. And for me to enter that rest, I have to turn them off. And having a sabbatical, this was, I just finished up my second sabbatical since I've been here in, Ashe, well, since I've been in ministry for 20-something years. I, I just finished up my second sabbatical. And, and what I've learned is that even during a sabbatical, I have to turn stuff off to be able to hear Jesus. One of the ways I do that is I I didn't check email until after I had spent time with Jesus. I didn't go to Facebook until after I had spent time with Jesus because Facebook, will it's like a black hole of time. I get on Facebook. I just need to message somebody real quick. Just ask them a real quick question, just instant, you know, direct message them. 30 minutes later, I'm looking at somebody's puppy and commenting on it. I have to turn that off so that I can rest with Jesus. My phone, I don't get any notifications on my phone. My phone is for my convenience, not yours. No offense. But when I open my phone and look at my messages, I'll address them. I don't need the notifications reminding me when I get messages and when I get emails and and all that stuff. Because I want to make time to be with Jesus. So maybe for you, there's a faucet you need to turn off. You see, we enter our best rest. To enter our best rest, we may have to turn off a faucet. And so for you, my question is this, and this may require a conversation, some prayer and conversation with your roommates, with your spouse, with your family. Um, But here's what I'm wondering about your best rest this Christmas season is there something that you need to stop doing so you can start resting? Perhaps it's deciding you won't go to every party this year so that you can spend time with Jesus, spend time with your family. Maybe it's that you're not gonna get your kids or you're not gonna get everything under the Christmas tree you wanna get this year so you can spend less time shopping, spend less money on it so you're not stressed out about when the credit card bill hits. Maybe it's a cash-only Christmas for you this year. Maybe it's to actually take those vacation days that aren't going to roll over, and during this Christmas season, you use them so that you can have some time away from work, so you can spend time with Jesus, spend time with your family, spend time with those who you love. Because here's why... Here's why this is important. And if I've gone over this list, if, if the Spirit has reminded you of something, if the Spirit has said, yeah, that, do that, write that down and do it because here's why it's important. Jesus is asking you to do that because our best rest is Jesus' rest. And there's no better picture than that of communion. It's our time to come to the table and say, Jesus, tag, you're it. Jesus, um, you are it, Father, tag, you're it. With all the weight that we carry, all the, all the, all the, all the stuff that we hear in our, in our heads and in our hearts and in our souls, Father, you speak to that. And Jesus, you say, come to me. And when we come to me, and we say, tag, you're it, Father. We enter this rest. And I pray for us as a church that if, if there is something that, that people need to stop doing so that they can enter your rest, that they would that they would stop that today. God, if there's something, um, that, that a faucet they need to turn off so that they can spend time with you, that they would do that today. And Father, that you would give them that rest and that in the process, of you giving that rest, they would discover this deep abiding rest in their souls. And Father, as we come to this table today, may we remember that it is only found in you. In Christ's name, we pray.